Show. I'm your host, State Senator Mike Azinger, accompanied by my co-host, Pastor Brian Leversey, the only show in America where you will experience the fusion of church and state. On the Voice of Truth radio show, we'll be engaging in vigorous, robust discussion on culture, history, current events from a biblical perspective Every Thursday at 5 p.m., Saturday 3 p.m., tune in, folks. Podcast, Voice of Truth with Mike Azinger. It's uh, Saturday, and uh, it's a lot of snow and ice out there. It's kind of been real winter this year. It's been like, this is, um, so I, I think in terms of how many years I've been in the legislature, because that's I'm down in Charleston in the winter at that time, and I can remember that it, this is my eighth year, and we have not had uh, a winter anything like this, close to this, in eight years. Yeah. Now, maybe ten years. I don't remember. But I do know because I do remember thinking every year down there, oh, this is great. This is an easy winter. Mm-hmm. We don't have to freeze to death. We don't have to uh, you know, have trouble finding a parking space because there's snow everywhere. But uh, it's been it's been a winter. Matter of fact, we came uh, – we let, we – didn't have session on Friday, which we always have session Friday, uh, because that ice storm's yeah. moving through. And uh, uh, I don't know how bad it was generally, but it it uh, it it did kind of deliver on this promise of snow and uh, and ice. I you know I went up out uh, let's see Friday, and my truck was just a sheet of ice. Yeah. So uh, we're learning things. You know, I I've watched in our neighborhood as they, they pull the um, the windshield wipers off of the windshield yeah. if your car's parked that time. Yeah. I'm like, why are they doing that? I'm like, yeah. oh, I bet that has to do with ice. So I ran home and my daughter parks her car out in our driveway, and so I pulled her uh, her windshield wipers off of her <laughs> glass to make sure she can scrape that ice off in the morning. Just because <laughs> like I'm not going to go around here for. forever. Yeah, I'm a pro now. Yeah, there you go. So. Uh, it's funny, I was joking with my wife, you know, she grew up in Arizona, and then we lived in California, and this is the first time she's lived anywhere where you have to deal with snow, and and I am so proud of her. I, f- I figured one season like this, and she'd be like, out of here, you know, and she's doing it. She <laughs> she's is. Tough, huh? She's tough. A lot tougher than I thought right. she'd be. So is there any part of Arizona that's colder, like northern Arizona? If you get up into Flagstaff, they'll get snow. They will. So that's, that's elevation of about seven, 8,000 feet. And uh, they'll have some snowy uh, winters if we yeah. get moisture, and that's where all the ski people go. But I mean, you go up there, you ski, you come back down, and you're in, you know. Well, I've no been snow in, I've been to Arizona recently, even, and uh, two or three years ago, I was out there. I've been out there twice, and it's uh, uh, the rugged beauty of Arizona is it's gorgeous. just it's it's it really is uh, the heat. <laughs> the heat it's intense it's i don't care if it's a dry heat or whatever it's yeah, dry, dry whatever heat that, still what, whatever dry heat okay yeah all right so we're gonna talk um we're gonna talk homeschooling in this segment and then uh we got some great stuff this time uh, pastor uh next segment 
No, not everyone is entitled to their opinion. So, folks, I t- tell you out there, yeah, you <laughs> are not news. entitled <laughs> to your opinion. That's a this is a great little story, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about uh, uh, just uh, truth, hmm. the truth. You know, um, and, and we live in an age of relativism where we're uh, all feel entitled. You know, this entitlement mentality that Mm -hmm. has been around in America for, I don't know, 50 years. We'll deal with that. And we're going to talk about Neil Young and Joe Rogan. Have you followed that story? Yeah, Yeah, I think most of America has. This is really fascinating to watch. All these these, uh, pop-up rebellions against tyranny, Mm -hmm. not just in America, but how about that trucker thing up in Canada? It's fantastic. Do you believe that? (laughs) Pretty amazing. I thought the can- Canadians were all a bunch of wimps up there, but uh, they're showing America how to <laughs> do are. it, right? And I think there's, I think there's a trucker, um, a convoy um, headed to D.C. Isn't there? Did you hear there anything is. about that? Yeah, it's like picking up uh, speed in America now, and uh, they're they're moving forward with it. Yeah, it's it's all these people at these uh, boards of education meetings needing to vent, so they're going to be in the convoy. That's probably true. And I tell you, these boards of education. I saw a gal. Um, let's see, I was watching. Uh, oh, who's the gal after Hannity? Laura oh, Ingram. Ingram. Yeah, who I I can't listen to unless I happen to turn there by chance and she's on <laughs> i can't listen to her but she has some good stuff and she has some good guests and she had this little gal on and who was at a board of education I mean, you've seen him well mm-hmm. this is another gal like that and she just went off and she said uh she said when in her interview i i don't do that i'm not a public speaker well she was in that one get yeah. get their little kitties involved and uh these gals are public speak uh, public speakers. She did a fantastic yeah. job. All right, so the last segment, our etiquette segment, we're gonna, <laughs> we were talking about this before we came on there. We're going to do um, from the Art of Manliness book, A Gentleman's Guide to Tipping. I think a lot of people will be interested yeah, in this. Yeah, I think, I think we're going to save a little more time for that because um, I think that uh, uh, I think that um, uh, Anyway, we had some good opinions yeah. on it, and we'll go yeah, back. It'll be it. I lost my I lost my train of thought. The, the oh, clock's we clock it didn't start. Okay, is it working? Okay. Yeah, we're good. All right, so, um, so we, we we have a little clock in here, folks, and if we, if our clock isn't being our guide, we're in. We will go over <laughs> <laughs> most <laughs> definitely. And Timothy Dowler will not uh, be happy with it. No, He's he will our, not. He has to edit it. So he has to edit the thing. <laughs> so he'll have to choose uh, what gets clipped. <laughs> Mostly your stuff, I think. Yeah, so that's what I'm afraid of. That's because you can fire him. I can't. The number of parents opting to homeschool their children skyrockets in West Virginia. So this is a, this is a story out of W from WCHS Charleston, West Virginia. This is fascinating. While much attention has been on implementing charter schools in West Virginia, we we passed that bill and uh, it's gone to the courts. Charter schools was kind of a big deal. Another approach to educating children has quietly skyrocketed uh, in popularity. More families than ever are engaged in homeschool for their children. So you're a homeschooler. Mm-hmm. My sister homeschooled six of hers. You all have four. Mm-hmm. Deborah Kilmeck isn't just another balancing a career and family. Isn't just any mother balancing a career and family. She is a pediatric 
ophthalmologist who homeschools her three children, a 14-year-old and uh, two 12-year-olds. It's been a joy to have the opportunity to see her learning, and she enjoys it, Klimek said. After their oldest was born, Klimek said she and her husband made a choice to try home-based learning, Hmm. and it worked for them. Scores of other families now echo the same sentiment. Kathy Hess Krause. Now, this gal, Kathy Hess Krause, I've known her for a long time down there. So she just got appointed to the legislature. legislature. We should have her as a guest. Sure. And uh, she's a little tiger. So she's in the legislature now. She's homeschooled her kids forever Hmm. and is not intimidated. Kathy Hess Krause, uh, I saw her on TV also. This is They also did an interview with her on TV. She did a great job. Kathy Hess Krause heads the West Virginia Home Educators Group. She said, even though West Virginia stopped keeping official totals several years ago, the state's homeschool numbers before the coronic, uh, coronavirus pandemic were about 13,000. Okay. All right, so before corona, 13,000. The latest census numbers showed a surprise, though, an enormous increase. Homeschool families now number in the tens of thousands in the uh, mountain state. Uh, So Kathy Hess Krause says, once we got the census report in, it appears West Virginia is in the mid 40 to 50,000 with homeschool. Wow. So from 13,000 pre-coronavirus to right now, this is a story from just last week, uh, from 13,000 to mid-40s to up to 50,000. That's that's at least three times. Yeah. Um, this is exponential growth. Hess Krause attributes the increase to a number of factors. Parents having kids at home, seeing what they were uh, seeing, what they were or were not learning, and seeing how far behind they were so Hmm. they're finding out they weren't learning this and they were learning this and they're behind here and so parents are saying whoa wait a minute what's going on and they're homeschooling the pandemic did account for a spark of interest in homeschooling across the country the last census showed 28 states with significant increases so let me just name these states Mm -hmm. because uh, this is interesting too alabama alaska arizona Colorado, blue state, Mm -hmm. Connecticut, blue state, Florida, Georgia, Illinois, blue state, Kansas, Louisiana, Maine, blue state, Massachusetts, blue state, Mm -hmm. Michigan, purple, Minnesota, purple state, Mississippi, Montana, Nevada, Nebraska, New Mexico, purple state, New York, blue state, North Dakota, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, Vermont, Blue State, West Virginia, and Wisconsin. So we're not just talking about red states. Yeah. There's there's a, a a good mix of blue states who have uh, where where homeschooling has grown uh, a lot. Well, I think we learned this even in Virginia that this isn't a you know side of the aisle issue. This is this is a parent issue. This is across the board, and this is a vital investment. Our children are a vital investment, and I think parents all over the nation, regardless of your stripe, are, are realizing that there's something broken in the school system, and uh, a lot of it is just this pressure that the school system is putting out there to try to uh, take agendas and propaganda and fill it into the curriculum 
and, and, and not teach the kids what they need to be taught in order to excel and be competitive in, in the marketplace. And uh, I think parents are waking up and realizing that. Listen to, listen to this number. So in the spring of 2020, okay, so that's two years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- this is when they started, two years ago. The spring of 2020, 5.4% of U.S. households were involved in homeschooling. By the fall of 2020, not now, not the mm-hmm. la- not last fall of 21, not uh, not now. We're talking about from spring to fall of 2020, the number was up to 11.1 percent. Wow! It almost uh, it more than doubled. That's amazing. In what six months? Yeah. That is that is just remarkable. It, it makes you wonder how much sooner this could have happened maybe if parents would have been engaged with what their children were learning previous to the pandemic. Mm, yes. Um, in West Virginia, the official numbers were strong too. The, no- the spring of 2020 mirrored the national number of 5.4%. Mm. The households uh, uh, or a 5.4% point, 5.4% of households in homeschooling, but it jumped to 16.6% by the fall. Wow. It tripled. So you can't ignore this. This is definitely a, a movement in a particular direction, for sure. Oh, it's a, it's it's so remarkable in the numbers because I think you could say I'm not an expert on the numbers, but I would say that homeschooling's probably held pretty steady to a certain number uh, nationwide or or locally here in West Virginia or whatever state. But now, uh, but now you have the pandemic and parents are being away. Uh, Waking up to uh, the wokeness in the schools, the critical race theory in the schools, I think the lack of, uh, of our Christian foundation, our historical foundation mm-hmm. being taught in the schools. Kids don't know history now, no. and uh, we're not bashing teachers because teachers have to basically teach the curriculum that, uh, that's given them, and, but uh, this is... This to me is encouraging news. Let me ask you philosophically. You, you and your wife, you, you all homeschool your four kids. Mm-hmm. Why? Because we believe that God has given us the calling to make sure that we are stewarding the minds and hearts of our children directly. It's not somebody else's job to do that. Mm-hmm. And regardless of what curriculum they're learning, I mean, I'm not foolish to believe that, you know, our kids are never going to encounter worldly philosophies as they get out into the world. But by by taking direct ownership of that in the home, I'm able to deal with anything that comes their way and do my job as a parent. You know, I always like the book of Proverbs because essentially the book of Proverbs is a dad walking through life with his son. Mm. And it's not that the son was never exposed to anything sinful or corrupt. But the dad was able to be like, hey, you see that drunkard in the ditch over there? You don't want your life to be like that because it comes to ruin and calamity. Hey, you see that strange woman over there that's wanting to entice and take people away from their their marriage relationships and their purity? You need to stay away from those types of situations. And so by homeschooling my kids, they're going to learn things that, that the world has taught and believed, but I'm able to bring in the foundation of truth to that. And I'm able to point out where there are lies and where there are errors and where there are pitfalls and help my children navigate through that. Mm-hmm. And, th- and that's, that's why we've grabbed onto it. Yeah, so that's, that's excellent. So Kathy has Krause again. Can we go back to her? Yeah. So she said, we started growing 
during the first teacher strike. We went up even more during the second teacher strike, and the pandemic just exploded our numbers exponentially. So anyway, there you go, folks. Uh, homeschooling. Uh, you know, we didn't homeschool, so I, <laughs> I'm being, I'm being um, uh, a little bit hip- of a hypocrite here. Uh, well, I'm ex- espousing this, but I think I that's just, good. I believe in it. Um, yeah. That that relationship. I was thinking about this this morning, Pastor. I think, I think I, uh, I think it's you that um, uh, initiated my thought. Just in terms of. God's into relationships. Mm. God's for that's what the cross was about, yeah. right? Broken relationship yep. because of sin, and He wants to restore a relationship. Yeah. A family is just a bundle of relationships, yep. right? And uh, uh, so, you know, God amazes me all the time. I look at our little dog, <laughs> and uh, I remember the story of, of uh, I don't know if it's on. Yeah, I heard it on the radio. It may have been, it may have been our station, but uh, um, he was telling his testimony. Un- unshackled, and he's, he he was homeless on the streets, and he had this little puppy, and he said that puppy loved him unconditionally, hmm. and it reminded him of God. Yeah, God made that little puppy. Every time you get home, our, our little puppy, uh, she's two years old now, she's always glad to see you. Yeah, you can go to the mailbox and come back. She's glad to see you. Yeah, and I think that's God. Yeah. I mean, that's the. The the uh, fingerprint of God mm-hmm. on His creation, don't you think? I mean, yeah. Am I but going- you never hear that testimony about cats. So what does that? Do? <laughs> <laughs> well, because we know where cats are going when they die. <laughs> All right, folks, we're just kidding. We, we're just kidding. Please, no emails are. <laughs> exactly. All right, so we're done for this segment. We're going to talk next segment about no, not everyone is entitled to their opinion. So, folks. You're going to like this one. You get a vicarious thrill of just listening to us just lecture people who are <laughs> there you go. so uh, so haughty about their own opinions. <laughs> uh, you're listening to the Voice of Truth radio show with Mike Gazinger and Brian Leversey. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Voice of Truth radio show. This is your host, State Senator Mike Azinger. Accompanied by my co-host, Pastor Brian Leversey, Pastor at Fellowship Baptist Church, Vienna, West Virginia. All right. Here we are. We're down in the bowels of the church. Uh, cool little <laughs> radio. You can't get here, folks, so don't even try. Uh, we have security That's right. all around the building, don't we? <laughs> it's, called <laughs> it's called ice. It's called ice on the pavement. <laughs> all right. So we're going to talk about, no, not everyone is entitled to their opinion. This is... Uh, an intellectual takeout article. They have the best stuff. We we, we have about uh, every week we talk about an article because they do great stuff. Who else writes an article titled, No, Not Everyone is Entitled to Their Opinion? So this guy's uh, Daniel Lattier, or Lattier. Um, so it says, It's commonly believed today that everyone is entitled to their own opinion. The author says, What nonsense. <laughs> I love it. Where does this entitlement regarding opinions come from? Who has bestowed it? (laughs) Yeah, that's a great question. Yep. Who's the final authority? Ask that on everything. Everyone should ask on whatever philosophy or belief. Who's the final authority Mm. on it? Who says so? Uh, Does God say so? 
The statement is a decidedly modern one. Yes, it is. No person until very recently in history would have dreamed of saying something so silly. It's usually attributed to the American financier Bernard Baruch. The full quote reads, Every man has a right to his opinion, but no man has a right to be wrong in his facts. So that's what Bernard Baruch said. Uh, I'm really not sure why the, uh, forget that sentence, when used as a response in an argument, I'm entitled to my opinion, is also a logical fallacy. Here we go, folks. He's about to chop it off at its knees. As it fails to establish whether or not one's opinion is true or false. Mm -hmm. Of course, it's fine for us to grant that everyone is free to have their own opinion, but the question is, is it a worthwhile opinion? Mm -hmm. For most people, on serious topics of discussion, I fear the answer is no. Having a worthwhile opinion on complex matters and being worth listening to on that opinion requires hard work and preparation. It requires years of education, in which uh, not always the same thing as schooling. We self-educate, right? We read and all that. In which one reads widely and learns to think carefully. Schools today ask students to form opinions too early and far too often on complex matters. Mm -hmm. That's a fascinating statement. It is. Why do we ask uh, kids, schools today, ask students to form opinions too early and far too often on complex matters. Children uh, aren't, aren't capable yet mm-hmm. of forming opinions on complex matters yeah. because they're complex. Right. And complex subjects takes uh, a lot of time to digest and to form in your mind and so on. So you've been pastoring 20-some years, mm-hmm. and you're in your 40s, mm-hmm. and there's certain, there's certain uh, uh, truths or doctrines or philosophies that you grasp easily now that when you were in your 20s, you were probably still struggling with and and had not uh, formed a, a, a solid opinion on. Right. And, and, you know, I think the Bible speaks to this. In the book of Proverbs, it's replete with, with instruction about even a fool is counted wise when he holds his tongue. You know, I mean, you're not supposed to be quick to form opinions or to communicate things that haven't been tested. The Bible says that we need to test the philosophies and truths that we're exposed to to make sure that they're right before we start espousing opinions that we grab onto that mold and shape our lives. Um, the Bible says that we are to prove all things. What it means by prove all things isn't just, you know, philosophically have a conversation about them based on our feelings. It means prove them out in life. See what history says about them. See what fruit is produced from it. And then you can rightly form an opinion of, of truth once you've analyzed, you know, how God has moved through that philosophy or through that situation. So the Bible speaks about this in a culture that is quick to form opinions and then run with them like truth. The Bible says it's like they which do that which is right in their own eyes. And you end up with a very relativistic culture where there's no firm right or wrong or direction or purpose. You have chaos and confusion. And that's really where we're at today because everybody is entitled, so to speak, to their own opinion. And everyone um, – yeah, exactly. And, and kids are trained, I think, like this article says – to give your opinion, give your mm-hmm. opinion. Well, I'm not interested in a kid's opinion. Don't mm-hmm. mean to be unkind here, but um, uh, if you're going for brain surgery, you wouldn't turn to a 12 year old and say, "What do you think about this?" Right. You know? right. A wise man studieth to answer. Hmm. Studieth. Mm-hmm. Well, 
people that are quick to answer, and we've all done that, but but you don't want to be hasty to answer, um, especially when you're in, in, a, in a complex debate or right. having a complex discussion. Um, line upon line, precept upon mm-hmm. precept. I think that's in Isaiah. Line upon line, you learn one thing at a time, precept upon precept, and then build on to more expansive and complicated point. Uh, truths. Yeah. Schools today ask students to form opinions too early and too often on complex matters before they've really had proper intellectual training. Yes, yes, at this point, some well-meaning person might quote uh, to us the biblical verse, Psalm 8-2, that says, Out of the mouths of babes comes wisdom, but the actual wording of the passage reads, Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings thou hast ordained strength. So, um... Having a worthwhile opinion on complex matters also requires life experience. Hmm. Life experience. Book learning only gets one so far. The ideas and positions one develops in their studies need testing in the uh, extramural world. So remember in the Old Testament um, when, um, let's see, who took over the kingdom and he uh, Jeroboam or Rehoboam, and all his uh, he so he went. To, he said, "I'm gonna go to the old man and s- see what I should do in this situation." I forget. What I think situation. it was Rehoboam. Yeah, Rehoboam. Mm-hmm. And he said, "No, nah, I'm gonna listen to all the people mm-hmm. my age, under thirty. The, the The mantra of the '60s was, um, "Don't listen to anyone over 30. <laughs> Look how well they did in the '60s. Uh, so you know we. Uh, Older folks are a source of wisdom. They have patience. They are they are they are slow to answer. You know, and 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 that's who we should often go to. Not always, but often we should uh, we should go to to the older people. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the uh, um, glory of the children is the fathers, right? And the hoary head is how's that? What's that? For? It depicts wisdom. It depicts that experience the that you're talking head, about. Right? Yeah, is, is there, there's wisdom in a, there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. The Bible mm-hmm. says, yes. and that that idea of counselors are those that are aged or have experience. You know, this idea of uh, of patience and experience is also critical in in our formation spiritually. In Romans chapter five, verse number, uh, dropping down to verse number three. It says this, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. And so in our spiritual formation as a as a growing believer, if you've not been through trials, if you've not seen God bring you through these areas of difficulty in your life, if you've not had to have patience to wait on the Lord, if you've not experienced his work in your life, then then you're not going to be as firm in your foundation. You're not going to have that hope that makes unashamed. A strong, confident Christian is not one who's just formed opinions off the cuff, but it's someone who's been brought through trials and, and patience, and patience leads to experience. And experience leads to hope. And they're still there. Dr. Evans, uh, who's president of House Anderson College, where I went to school, always said that uh, Christianity is me- measured in 
not in years, but in decades. Mm-hmm. So I love the new Christian. Everybody mm-hmm. loves the new Christian. They're baby Christians, and babies act like babies. They're they're so refreshing to be around. Mm-hmm. But if I if I want to uh, if I need some some uh, some help some input, some wisdom on a serious issue in life. I want somebody that's been beat up a little right. bit, right? Yep. We want somebody that's got scars, that, that uh, has got wrinkles, has got uh, uh, just just the, the, the whole uh, experience of being through life. Mm-hmm. Life, brings, life brings wisdom just by virtue of living it. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you, if you have, if you have uh, Jesus Christ, then, then uh, an experienced, tested Christian is I- irreplaceable. Yeah, absolutely. You know? All right, so let's do another story here real quick before we run out of time in this segment. I wanted to bring this one up. Virginia Gov sets up tip line to report schools teaching divisive critical race theory. And he also did, this is Governor Yunkin, the new governor in Virginia. This guy is just really really coming on strong. So uh, Yunkin's executive order, let me see. So he's got an executive order. He joins parents' lawsuit against Loudoun schools over masks. So Loudoun schools, that's that little that little pocket of tyranny. I think it's in Northern Virginia, one of the collar counties around D.C., mm-hmm. where those, those little uh, t- tyrants slip out of the city and build these big homes that's paid for by the taxpayers because they're making <laughs> 150 grand a year mm-hmm. in some bureaucracy. <laughs> all right. And they bring that bureaucratic philosophy with them. And uh, they should be screened before they start building houses. And this is an, mm-hmm. and this is a, a danger of West Virginia because those D.C. bureaucrats, left-wing bureaucrats, those critical race theory-believing bureaucrats are moving into the eastern panhandle and are going to affect um, – they're going to affect um, elections. Mm-hmm. So – here we go. Judge rules Governor Yunkin's executive order on masks in schools goes against state law. So here comes the judge. This judge probably a left-wing Obama judge or something. And he's saying, nope, can't do that, Governor Yunkin. Can't do yeah. that. Even though the people elected him. Even though people elected him. Even though he's the governor. And what he should just do is uh, a lot of these these judges are way out of line, mm. way out of their jurisdiction not, anyway. Yeah. And Andrew Andy Jackson famously said, if uh, John Marshall wants uh, me to do whatever, let him come and make me. <laughs> <laughs> That's a paraphrase. But we need more leaders to say, look, Supreme yeah. Court, if you want uh, my state to allow killing babies, come and, come and make me do that. Mm-hmm. You know, why don't we do that? Why do we – why did every – all 50 states, when the Supreme Court made that – decision on Roe v. Wade, why did they all just bow to it? Mm-hmm. They had no right making that decision. That's not their ju- jurisdiction. They made a decision to say that it's okay to murder babies. Mm-hmm. In Obergefell, we made a decision to say gay marriage is okay. Mm-hmm. In Lawrence v. Texas, we made a decision to say that uh, the Supreme Court, not we, the Supreme right. Court, is making all these decisions. Um, they had homos- anti-homosexual laws in Texas that just said, look, um, they're not lawful. Yeah. They're not they're they don't reflect natural law. It's just been a cultural precedent that we've allowed to be set up is that you can now legislate from the bench and that was never an intention in the founding of our country is is legislation from a unilateral bench of of 
of judges. It's yes. meant to be something that goes through the proper processes. And now we've just embraced it and let it go, and now we're in the mess we're in today. Yes, the um, the Supreme Court and the other courts are, have, are too highly ele- uh, elevated in our, our the esteem mm-hmm. of the American people. It's just it's it's happened year after year after year, and it, there needs to be a stop to it. But anyway, Yunkin. Down there uh, in Virginia, that great governor, he's doing a good job, and it's exciting to see Virginia just flip. Virginia was really going left. Mm -hmm. We just had abandoned hope in it. And then Terry McAuliffe got up and said, hey, look, parents, uh, (laughs) they may be your child, and uh, they may have come out of your mama's, uh, uh, the mommy's womb, but uh, mommy and daddy don't have a right to, to... to uh, to interject their beliefs in the kids' education. The, one of the one of the hopes that we have is that it seems like evil always tends to show its true colors at some point. Like it can't help itself. Yeah, it like it to. just comes out and and says what it is at some point. Yeah. And that's when you're like, oh man, that's what's going on. Yeah. And, and that's a uh, that's uh, it's. It's a little frightening when that happens, but it's so refreshing because mm-hmm. here we go. Okay, now we know. Now we know we, where we've you're suspected it. We mm-hmm. knew it was all along, but now you're just coming out and saying it, aren't yep. you? Parents can't. Parents can't be involved in their education. Let the bureaucrats do it. <laughs> and uh, you know that that uh, the uh, the uh, compelling kids to go to school. This compulsory attendance started in the early, like the mid 19th century mm-hmm. and all these states every state has look uh, you will you will go to school your kids will go to school we the state say so is that true in sea laws is that the um, it's well yeah I mm-hmm. mean essentially yes yeah. but uh, you know it, and the homeschoolers had to fight for mm-hmm. that back in the 60s right yeah and Christian, Christian schools, schools always too. fight yep. and uh, I remember when they were locking up uh, pastors and Christian educators in Nebraska, and it was coming into Iowa at the time. I remember my dad flying out on a helicopter to go stand against the tyranny in Nebraska when they were walking into prayer meetings at uh, church and hauling people out and throwing them in jail, just regular church members, because they had a Christian school mm-hmm. in their church, and the state was saying, you can't uh, do this, you have to send them to the public school. There's always the fight with the state, even mm-hmm. even before we became America, the uh, Baptist preachers and others all across the wilderness were being put in jail for, just for preaching. Yeah. People don't know that. All right, we're out of time for this segment. We are going to talk about Neil Young <laughs> and Neil Young and Joe Rogan in the next segment. And then we're going to talk about tipping. How should a man tip in the last segment? You're listening to the Voice of Truth radio show. Don't go away, folks. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Voice of Truth radio show. This is your host, State Senator Mike Azinger with Pastor Brian Leversey. We are in the house. In the house. Wow. <laughs> Raising the roof. Raising the roof <laughs> in the house. Man, we're hip. We're not like fuddy-duddies. Um, all right, so this segment, we're going to talk about uh, why Neil Young and most celebrities are fascists. Hmm. This is a good little story. Everyone thinks oh, all the 60s hippies were freedom lovers and uh, all that. No, they weren't. Yeah. And um, so we know what's going on with Neil Young, and who said, hey, look, if, if Joe Rogan isn't kicked off Spotify, I'm leaving. Spotify said, bye-bye. 
right? Mm-hmm. And so apparently this had to be orchestrated because after Neil Young, somebody else came up and somebody else yeah. and somebody else. I don't know who all's out there now. And I don't know if uh, Spotify will stand up to it. But Joe Rogan has the biggest bo- podcast in the country. Yeah. He is um, he is a right liberal. Right us, right? He's second to us. Uh, did I did I miss that? I'm sorry, I missed that. We have four billion listeners, <laughs> but uh, so Rogan has millions, fourteen yeah. million, I think. He's not he's not to Rush Limbaugh. Right. My boys, I'm a Rush Limbaugh guy. My boys, oh Rogan, Rogan, Rogan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I say sorry, boys. Rush Limbaugh had like fifty percent more listeners than Joe Rogan. <laughs> so, I'm the old geezer that just won't let that go. So uh, here comes Joe Rogan, who's not a conservative, but he's he's objective. Mm. He he'll let people talk, mm-hmm. uh, like he and he he interviews these people for like three or four hours. It's yeah. insane. But my boy, I, I kind of learned the next generation from uh, my my two boys, especially uh, Zach, who's in the army now. But he he's a uh, he he. Listens to podcasts. He's into all that stuff. He loves Jordan Peterson. And Jordan Peterson is speaking to that generation because Jordan Peterson is essentially basically fearless. Yeah. Okay? And uh, Jordan Peterson, um, I don't know his philosophies. I, I know that he has recently gone from uh, atheist, atheism or agnost, uh, agnosticism to theist theism he's a, yep. he's at least a theist right he believes in god now and uh, he he will he will express um a i don't know if it's a faith in jesus christ but at least an acknowledgement yes. of, of yep. christ yep. am i mm-hmm. right there yep. you you act like you know a little bit more about him than i do except that my boy uh reads his books mm-hmm. and listens to him all right so here we go this is uh, this is John Nolte from Breitbart. He's he's a great read oh, nine times out of ten. Why Neil Young and most celebrities are fascists, right? Here we go. Why would an anti-establishment hippie like Neil Young – remember the Alabama song? Yep. <laughs> he went after Neil Young. <laughs> I will forever like Alabama. <laughs> Love Alabama. It's a great song anyway. Why would anti-establishment hippie like uh, hippies like Neil Young suddenly turn fascist and want to blacklist Joe Rogan to protect the establishment from criticism? Why is left-wing Hollywood sucking up to China's Nazis? Why does a 60s icon like Cher call for the imprisonment of those she disagrees with? Hmm. I loved Sonny and Cher, though. I did watch that show. <laughs> Why does a free spirit like Bette Midler demand all women's uh, demand uh, something from women? Mm-hmm. Why does a Whoopi Goldberg rhetorically lynch an innocent man? Why does television's most famous anti-establishment liberal now protect the establishment by accusing those he disagrees with of sedition? Neil Young is behaving like Joe McCarthy. Hmm. And I think Joe McCarthy got a bad rap, frankly. Hmm. Meathead is behaving like Richard Nixon. So Meathead is uh, from All in the Family. Whoopi is behaving like the Klan. Bet is leaving the church, uh, is behaving like the church lady. Hollywood is behaving like Vichy France. I don't know what that means. What's going on? How is this possible? After all, for most of our lives, we've recognized the artist's an artistic establishment that emerged from the 60s and 70s as free speech warriors, as classical liberals, 
and as, uh, as envelope pushers, as the very heroes who put an end to McCarthyism, the prudish uh, moral majority, the production code, and old-fashioned censorship. But look at them now. They're the ones calling for blacklists, censorship, prudery, and the political arrest. They're the ones kissing up to China, uh, China's Nazis. Well, of course they are. Don't you see that this is who these people always were? Hmm. That's who they always were. Uh, Because if you are atheist uh, left-wingers who have a— you know, have their belief system based in, in, in whatever, uh, you know, whatever uh, liberal icon of the past, whether it's, you know, Marx or, or whoever. Um, I'm thinking of a name. I can't think of the, one of the main, uh, one of the main uh, philosophers of the 60s that they believed in. But, but these, are, these are all hipsters. These are, these are the people that believe in themselves and love themselves and live for themselves and and uh, um, like Timothy O'Leary and uh, Allen Ginsberg, these leftist icons who were into you know sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That's all they live for. Mm-hmm. Um, and they they grasping these philosophies, they cannot. Uh, they can, it's impossible for them to believe in liberty. Mm-hmm. as defined in Scripture. Well, and freedom without responsibility uh, is essentially a different form of, of slavery. The Bible calls it slavery to sin. You know, uh, it's not like total freedom to be autonomous on your own and choose things that go against the law of nature, which we talk about frequently on this show. Um, it, you're going you're gonna to end up in a form of bondage. And uh, many of these people, their minds, their hearts, um, their behavior is in the bondage of of this sinful ideology. It's the me first God movement. It's, you know, everything funnels through me. And then you can see the hierarchy of it as they establish themselves as being God. Then they rain down tyranny on anybody that's below them. So you, you think of these people as being icons of freedom in the past. And really now they're positioning themselves exactly as what they've always been self-gods, and whenever you're full of people who are self-gods, whenever they rise to power, they're going to lord it over anybody that's mm-hmm. under them. Everybody has to think like them. If not, they're going to get canceled. If mm-hmm. if anybody speaks differently than them, you better not. You're not going to have a show anymore. You're not going to work in Hollywood yes. anymore. You're not going to, you're going to get kicked off of your talk show. Uh, we're going to remove you from social media. This is the self-god complex. And when you don't look to the real God, the, the, the creator God, the, the God who created natural law, and subject yourself to the plan that God has and has created for us, then you're, you're essentially setting yourself up to be God, and you're going to, to dictate over everybody else that, that's under you. Right on. That's exactly exactly what they do. Uh, so I'm, I'm reading a book on the '60s right now, and it's talking about uh, Norman Mailer and uh, uh, Susan Sontag, and these are '60s icons and and who they hang uh, hang with, uh, hung with back in the '60s, and and uh, who their friends were and their philosophers. But so th- these are people that basically uh, said, "Look, we're atheists." And they said we're atheists, so they could behave like they want to yeah. behave. They could live like they want to live. They were all um, uh, almost to a man and, and a woman uh, uh, sexual, sexually perverted, mm-hmm. and they uh, they they were uh, atheists 
or agnostic, and uh, they were drug addicts and alcoholics. And these are people, like you said, that that uh, they said, "Look, we don't. We're going to create our own dogma. Mm-hmm. We're going to have our our own set of beliefs." Like I think it's Romans twelve talks about when they 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 didn't want what God had to say. So everyone has to have a, a set of beliefs. You can't just float out on the ocean. Everybody without thinks a, freedom is I get to do what I want, but the Bible says the truth will make you free. You can't have true liberty without truth. And if you pull yourself into your own self-made lie, you know, we just talked about everyone's entitled to their own opinion. No, because if you run through your own opinion and it's not true, you are in slavery to your lie. And it's going to govern not only your life, but it's going to have to govern everybody else's lives around you yeah. or they're not going to be able to have a relationship with you. And that's, and, and if, you, if you watch these 60s icons and these – these uh, 60s rebels who came out of that whole sexual uh, libertine revolution, uh, so many of them died uh, violent or awful mm-hmm. deaths uh, because that's what happens. You get you become enslaved to to uh, what God doesn't bless and condemns, and and uh, the, the the wages of, is, of sin is death. Is death. Yep. Amen. So Neil Young and Rob Reiner and Bette Midler and Sean Penn and all these in this article, um, they are uh, they are fascists in and of themselves. They are uh, in their in their hatred of so called fascism. They became fascists mm-hmm. themselves, and like you said, they they have to because because they're defending a lie. Mm-hmm. And when people start poking at that lie, you have to shut them up. Yeah, right. If you are a if you are a, a leftist, a fascist of the left who wants to shut everybody up, who wants to control, and that's basically what fascism is. It's it's state control. Mm-hmm. It's uh, government control of 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 uh, the means of produ- production of speech. And uh, fascist, the word fascist gets thrown around a lot today. And the definitions of it isn't always clear, but in this context, I think you could you could basically say that guys like Neil Young, uh, in terms of fascism, they want to shut you up. Mm-hmm. Shut up. Well, well, let's let's admit though that there's a ditch on either side of the road. There's a ditch in this with the leftists, and there's a ditch in this for the the right. In the sense that anything apart from God, if you don't bring God into it, you're basically your own God. And this is what happened even with the Pharisees. I mean, these these were the right wingers of the New Testament. These were these were the conservative, go by the law. We've manufactured it. We're going to tell you what to do. You abide by our rules, and uh, yet it was still apart from God. And so, yeah. so you you have to have the truth attached to your belief structure. If you don't, you're in slavery. And the pagan was a slave to their sin. And the extreme uh, conservative without God was a slave to their sin. And that's why I love the fact that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Yes. If you don't have, if you don't have God in it, it's not going yep. it's, it's to end up terribly, yep. terribly bad. Um, all right. So well, how much time we got here? We, uh, let's go ahead and take a break. And we'll come back. We're going to do our etiquette segment. 
And what is the subject going to be? I'm going to tell you right now what the subject is going to be, a gentleman's guide to tipping. This is going to be fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're going to be a little transparent, you and I, uh, on our tipping. Share some feelings. <laughs> <laughs> yes, amen. All right. We'll be right back. This is the Voice of Truth Radio Show. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Voice of Truth Radio Show. This is Mike Azinger with Brian Leversey. We're going to talk about etiquette, as we always do in the last segment. We were, t- we were talking about tipping, right? This yep, is, tipping. This is a, a gentleman's <laughs> guide to tipping. All right, so why tip? The difference between regular jobs and many jobs that require tips is that they are service jobs. Mm-hmm. And they are called service jobs because they are directly serving you. They personally and intimately affect you. You do not have to tip people for doing their job per se, but you might think about tipping for the following reasons. Number one, that person's livelihood depends on our tipping. An unsettling number of people don't seem to realize that many service workers in the United States, like waitresses, do not get a typical hourly wage. I think people understand that. They get paid something like two fifty an hour. That's, mm-hmm. that's about right. Tipping in these cases, is not optional but necessary. So yeah. whenever you go out to eat, everybody knows this. I think this is common knowledge. Mm-hmm. You go to Outback. You go to any kind of sit-down restaurant. You're going to tip. Mm-hmm. Now, how much is the question? And we were talking about this yeah. before we got on the air. So uh, to show your gratitude is another reason to tip. Um, another word for tip is gratuity. Hmm. Many people in service jobs are overworked, underpaid, and unthanked. At your job, when you do something right, your uh, supervisor says, thank you, and job job well done. Who says thank you to the trash men? Tipping is a way to say thank you for those who rarely hear it. So do you tip your trash man? So I was confused about this. Um, This year, uh, of course, we have trash service, and I noticed that on the holiday time, there was a little attachment on my... Uh, trash can and it kind of was this Christmas card and it had the schedule for the trash and I thought I wonder if this is the way we can but I have a hard time thinking I'm going to attach a tip or whatever to my trash can for him to pick up yeah I don't know and that's why I'm so fascinated to hear what this book has to say because I don't know what to do in a lot of situations here's how I do the trash man so uh, we give a Christmas tip. Mm-hmm. We just tape it to the top of the trash can. Okay. We've always done, but we have always, if we have an abundance of trash, you know, say you clean the yard or Christmas, we we would put like a ten dollar bill, tape a ten dollar bill to it to the trash can. Um, tipping ensures great service. This is especially true of people who perform service for you regularly. If you tip a barista at a coffee shop you frequent or uh, that you frequent or a waiter at your favorite restaurant, they will give you even better service next time. If the person went above and beyond the call of duty is another reason to tip. Uh, so how much should you tip? Now, uh, the tip amount, has, it's always been 15% as a standard, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I tip... <laughs> I tip. I'm a socialist when it comes to tipping. <laughs> it's the only socialist part of my life. 
I tip at least 20%, mm-hmm. and if they're really good, I'll tip 25%. Yeah, and everybody wants your table right now. <laughs> exactly. I tip well. Yeah. And one of the reasons is um, during part of our marriage, my wife had to uh, worked at nights at Outback. Mm-hmm. And she would come home and tell me stories so that it's ingrained in my mind that these poor gals, a lot of them, get abused by by uh, customers who don't care about tipping, that are rude, that are selfish. So I always tip 20%, and if they're nice, and I have found 90% of wait staff are nice and friendly mm-hmm. and do a good job. So I will tip tip between 20 and 25%. Yeah. And I, I, I'm kind of in the same vein. I, I really, I don't know. I have a different view of money, I guess, when it comes to, to generosity. I, I really, I feel like, <laughs> I feel like I, I view things a little bit differently in the sense that if I see somebody doing a good job, I really want to encourage them in it. And, and so I am too, I'm kind of a big tipper and, uh, and then, but what do you do about this? I want your opinion on this. When you're at a place that you're not being served and you're just going in to pick up your food and it kind of pulls up that there's a tip area for it. Okay, we talked about What do you do this. about that? So this you know, because nobody's coming to your table. Nobody's cleaning up after you. Nobody's serving you at all, but it still pops up, hey, you, you picked up this food, now give us so a tip. So this is a new... Or the tip jar that's there. This maybe. is a whole uh, new dynamic. The tip jar is different, but yeah. the screen, when they flip the screen around and say, uh, they they take your card, they do everything, and they said, this uh, a certain restaurant I go into turns it around and says, and it's going to ask you if you want to leave a tip. So... What are they saying? They're saying, you're going to leave a tip, right? You right. are going to leave a tip, even though you're just picking food up. Um, this is, I'm talking about carryout. Mm-hmm. There's a restaurant I go into. I always get carryout, and they started this thing with that screen. They flip it around. It's going to ask you uh, if you want to leave a tip. Mm-hmm. So this, uh, this question that I started getting from these gals who didn't wait on me, they carried me carried a uh, my food to the ta- to the counter that's mm-hmm. fine there's right. value in that sure. but when they turn it when they flip the the screen and say it's going to ask you if you want to leave a tip that goes right through me <laughs> right. <laughs> right through me right. so i took it a couple times and then the third fourth time i said ma'am don't ask me for a tip yeah because that's what they're doing and it's not that is that to me is out of order yeah. do not ask for a tip if you do a good job i'm going to tip you right if you are friendly and you brought my food and and uh i'm going to carry it out i'll leave you a you know a buck or two maybe right but um when you ask for a tip it just goes right through me. yeah so i called her on it and i do that now yep. if they ask for a tip that to me is 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 out of line yeah no, Are you with I, me on I, that? I'm with you on that. I, I just feel like it should be a response to the service that you get. That's that's a whole design of a tip. It, it is an accountability situation where I want to provide good service. Yeah, and because, that's why most wait staff is, is very friendly and, and very helpful. Um, I found that almost every waiter or waitress I've ever had, 90% are good, very good at it. Yeah. Because they know they're working for a tip. Right. Right. Yeah, I agree. 
All right. So that is uh, that is this week's etiquette segment on, and, and we'll do more. We're gonna. That's just the beginning. We'll get like two or three, four weeks of this on. Uh, so next week we'll talk about when you're traveling. Uh, on personal se- uh, services. I need this. Yeah. So a barber, what do you, I'm not asking you. This is right, right, rhetorical. Right. A barber, what do you tip your barber? Mm-hmm. What do you tip at a uh, ice cream or uh, coffee shop? Takeout is going to that. Everybody wants a tip mm-hmm. nowadays. Who do you tip and who, you, who do you not, not tip? Uh, do you tip your hotel mate? Do you leave mm-hmm. a tip for her? So um, so we'll get, we'll get into that in the coming weeks. This will be fun, and I think it will It'll help folks because there is a lot of confusion on on uh, where do you tip, where do you not tip, how much do you tip in certain um, certain scenarios. You know, obviously, mm-hmm. if you sit down at a restaurant, you're going to give more of a tip than if you're um, carry out. Yep. You know, you don't give the same. There's not the same service. Um, let's see, where was I? On occasion, I will. Okay. This is something I did. I'm not toot my own horn. I, I've done this one time in my life. So I was I was driving back from I think Indiana, and I stopped at a Waffle House. <laughs> I'm high. Couldn't end, help dude. it. I'm high. End. <laughs> so I, a Waffle House will, will fill you up good mm-hmm. and cheap. So I stopped in there. It was at nighttime, and this gal was talking to uh, her her other waitress friend if waffle house has waitresses i think they'd feed you over the counter mm-hmm. i've been there in a while but so she was talking to her her buddy and and saying how she got she got uh, somebody just just uh what's the term when you don't get a tip they oh like jilted you or, yeah yeah so they she got nothing yeah and she needed money for something i forget mm-hmm. what it was um so i left her uh i left her a 20 dollar bill mm-hmm. now that's not overly generous but it's over and above yeah and uh so there are situations yeah. where you should do that yeah. you know help somebody yeah. i probably should have helped her more than 20 bucks but that's what i gave if you're her in the position to be able to do yeah. that yeah right yeah um but um uh, i i have a heart for for, for waitress waitresses yeah. and waiters yeah uh because my wife was one sure and and that's increased my yep. tipping by at least 20 percent. i'm sure yeah. you know i go let's see i'd love to tip the other day uh at outback i think mean, she was really good very friendly on it you know yep. i'll tell you who's i'll tell you who's really i talk about competition how competition raises it, it in, in, increases the service and the quality mm-hmm. and brings prices down um, but these, when Mexican restaurants started popping mm. up around the Mid-Hawk Valley, the, 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 they would bring service like you would get n- n- not, uh, nowhere else. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Mexican restaurants, your, your drink does not go to That's the right. bottom. That's right. I don't know if, if they're still as good as they were, but I, I remember, wow, these these guys are unbelievable. Yeah. You get chips and salsa for free, <laughs> right? But uh, chips and salsa, and then they bring your drink, and your drink is never empty. You don't yeah. ever have to raise your, hey, can I get a drink? Because the salsa, here? they know they better keep bringing that's, it. That's it. <laughs> so, uh, so there you go. All right, so next week, folks, we're going to talk uh, more about tipping. We'll do that. And I'll have an interview. I, I – uh, I'll have an interview with one of my center friends who's head of the prayer caucus down there, and this will be interesting too. So he's from down in the southern counties. He has an accent that's really cool. He's a car dude. He's a motorhead. Mm. And he's uh, 
He uh, he's from Hatfield and McCoy territory, oh, okay. so we'll get a little story, uh, a little background on that, and uh, what he does for a living, and then. Uh, we'll talk about the prayer caucus. There's some of us are mem- members of the prayer caucus, and we we pray before every session, every day, and strategize and so on. All right, folks, thanks for tuning in today. We had fun as always, and we hope you did too. This is Mike Asinger with Brian Leversey, pastor of Fellowship Baptist Church, and I'm your state senator. And we will talk to you next week on the Voice of Truth Radio Show. Have a great day. I-